that. What is a dad? And uh, I did a, we call that an, uh, across, uh, an acrostic, right? Am I correct with that? An acrostic. And it's uh, father down, and it's friend, affirmer, teacher, hero, example, and rule giver. And we're going to go this morning, we're going to cover each one of those uh, items that are up there as to what is a dad. And uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, you don't have to go to that one. I'll just I'll read that to you. It says, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father. So grace and peace unto you this morning from God our Father in heaven. Amen. Can we all receive that? Grace and peace from God our Father in heaven. It's Father's Day, and, and we, bless, uh, we want to honor our, and bless our fathers, but Father God wants to bless us today. And on and give us, pour out grace and peace upon us. You know, we cannot outgive God. And uh, so God says, grace and peace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is repeated over and over in the New Testament. Grace and to you, grace and peace, grace to you and peace to you from God our Father. And those are things that we have to, uh, as fathers too, is always be grace, be full of grace. And be full of in looking for peace. We don't want to be looking to war. We want to be looking for peace. We want to impart peace as fathers into our households, into our to our children, to our wives, to our to our entire house. The word father is a, is a position of authority. The scriptures make clear that a father is put by God, by the word of God, into a position of authority as the head. Of a family, when the Word of God puts us in a position of uh, as a father, as a man, as it puts us into a position of authority over the headship of a household, it it by implication by that position we are responsible. There's responsibility that comes with any type of leadership, whether it be the leadership of a house as a father, as a as a husband, or as whatever. There's a responsibility that is comes along with it. You can't you can't keep that aside. But in the case of a father, as in any case that God puts a person in leadership, but especially as God sets a man as a priest, prophet, and king over his household, there's responsibilities. But God, through His Word, He gives us direction. He gives us instruction. He gives us help. He gives us enablement to carry out and fulfill all the responsibilities of a father. God wants to see us succeed in, with every in every area of fatherhood. God gives us all the help and enablement that is needed. God doesn't say, okay, you're a father, you're the head of this house, and now you're on your own. Report to me later, and we'll, we'll, we'll check off what you did and didn't do. That is not how God operates. We're not on our own. God gives us all the instruction and the help and the, and the, all that we need to, He gives us the strength to do and to be able to do that. And so we want to look at the, those, uh, we want to look at John chapter 15, verse number 15. As we look under the first uh, part of Father F, which is uh, I brought out as friend. And what is the responsibilities of a father? Uh, one of them is to be a friend. You know, 
It says in John fifteen fifteen, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant knoweth what not what his Lord doeth, but I have I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. What do we see here? We see that Jesus is saying to his to those that came to him, all that I've heard from my Father I pass on to you. There's a passing on. And it's not a passing on of Lord and ma- over Master. Jesus could have said, listen, you just do what I tell you to do because I'm the Master of heaven and earth. He could have said that. We can say as fathers, you do what I do, tell you to do because I'm the Master of this house. And you just get it right. Otherwise, you know, and now there, there's times for correction. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus is saying that there's a, he relates to us. He passes on from his Father to us that he looks at us as friends because a friend is by choice. A friend is not something that we're bound to do. And so when we look at our wife or our children, we have to look at them as also as friends, that we want them to choose to, to, to come to us, and we want to choose to go to them uh, with love and with uh, to let them know that, I'm, I'm imparting to you all that I've learned from my Father, from my Heavenly Father. I'm imparting to you as a friend. I want to share this with you. I choose to come with this knowledge to give to you. It's one thing when you, when you say, I, you know, it's in my heart. I really want to share this and choose it to you. Jesus says, I call you friend. Because it means uh, a friend is one who has esteem, respect, an affection for someone. A friend is there to promote happiness and prosperity. A friend is a companion and an attendant. An attendant to, the, to, to that person is a care and a desire. It's not to be a, a burden uh, or unwanted. You know, it's, it's not to say, well, you're here and uh, uh, now that you're here, you're just going to have to do what I say, like it or not. It's that we have to have a, a care and a desire for those in our household. In John chapter 3, verse 35, it says that the Father loveth the Son. And we have to, as fathers, love the Son, love our wives, love our children. We have to take example from the Word of God on what Father God is like. That's how He wants us to be. The Bible says, be holy for I am holy. Be perfect as I am perfect. It's, God is transforming us and molding us and fashioning us to be like him, to take example from the Lord. So the Lord says that if there, there, there's love that has to come forth and you have to, to love that person who is in you are responsible for, it's the, the God type love in John chapter 10, verse number 30, it's going to see, it says that I and my Father are one. God wants love to be there. He wants unity to be there. He wants it to be as a friendship, a caring relationship of, of wanting to be with each other, of that, that oneness that is there. And it says uh, a unity and a togetherness. And so it says I and the Father are one. Can we say that I and my child are one, I and my wife are one? What does that mean, that we're in agreement, that we have the same heart, that we have 
that we want to be into that presence of, of each other. We don't want to run away from each other. And in John chapter 11, verse number 41, Jesus says this again. He's talking about the Father and Him. The relationship between the Father and Jesus, Jesus is saying that's the relationship we are to have also with one another and with the Lord. We're to be as friends. We're to love. We're to uh, have unity with uh, together. And here Jesus says in John eleven forty one, <clears throat> at the end, Father, I thank you that you heard me. Isn't it good when somebody listens to the, to the things that are in your heart when you make time to listen to your wife or time to listen to your children? That's important. That's friendship. When a friend comes to you and says, can we talk, what do you say? Do you say, uh, I, look, I, I'm too busy. I can't be bothered with, your, with what you got to tell me. If a true friend comes to you and says, we need to talk, what do you say? Sure, sit down. Let's make time. We'll, we'll listen. And so in the friendship, we have to have that friendship, that desire, that want to, in the friendship, to listen to our, as the father, you listen to your wife, you listen to your children, and you, you have to make time to listen. You can't say, I'm too busy to listen to you now. We need to make time to listen. And that's what the Lord said here. Father, I thank you that you heard me. Did he have any doubt that the Father heard him, listened to him? No. And so when you listen, when you take time, when we take time to listen, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to listen. So that's as part of being a friend. A good friend listens. In John chapter 16, verse number 32, this is fathers being friends in their household. It says, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And Jesus was left alone. He, everybody scattered and left him alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. A good father never leaves or abandons his wife or children for any reason. If times are rough, if things are bad, you don't leave. You stay there. Although others may leave around them, your, your, your children might have all their friends leave them. Uh, your wife may come and says, i got no friends anymore. But you're there to always be there. A friend, a true friend, knows that you will never leave them or abandon them in tough times. You know? Fathers, we, we, we just, we, men, we just need to have that in our, in our manhood, in our fatherhood, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the bond of marriage. You know, when, when a, when a man is married, he's, he's set in the, as the head of the household to say, you know, I will never leave you. That's what marriage is. And when you have, when God gives children into your care, you need to say, I will never leave you. I'll always be there for you. You know, sometimes children, they the what you hear is they were never there for me. They were never there for me. I hear that many times. My dad was never there for me. My mom was never there for me. But dads, we have to make time to always be there for our children, to always hear them. And don't think what their questions, they might seem small or insignificant, but if it's a question they're putting to you, it's important. And they're coming to you for the answer. Don't put them off because they need to know that they're never alone. 
that you have time for them, to hear them, to love them, to, to care for them. And that shows them that you're a true friend. When they can come and know that you're listening and that you love them, that you're making time for them, that they're just not a second uh, of second importance in your life, that, that they're of major importance to you, that you listen to them, uh, that's a good thing. And in Proverbs 18, verse number 24, we see that a, a friend, when we, when we look at that as a, as a father, as being a friend, it says, there is a, a verse 18, verse 24, uh, he that maketh many friends doeth it to his own destruction. But there is, in other words, who makes many friends. If you just go out trying to make people like you and want you, you're going to wind up bringing yourself down because you're going to be doing things to please people. And as soon as you displease people, guess what? They're going to not like you and they're not going to be your friends anymore. So you're going to bring, if you go out trying to make friends and trying to, because you think that in many friends you're going to have, uh, you're going to arrive, you're going to be in for a disappointment. Because friends are friends, and as long as you have, and as long as you give, but the minute you're, you're in a, a tough situation, they're scattered, and you're nowhere. But it says, but there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You see, there's a friend that goes, you know, the Bible, you know, you've heard the saying, blood is thicker than water. Well, maybe so, but a bonded heart and spirit is thicker than blood. A bonded heart and a bonded spirit can't be pulled apart. And when you have a true friend, a true a one whose heart is bonded with you, nothing is going to pull you apart or, or keep you away, hopefully. A true friend I'm talking about. The heart and the spirit is greater than even blood relationships. Yes, it is. Your families can, can tear you apart. But if you have a true friend, if the heart and the spirit are bonded together, and that's why, fathers, if we make a friend with our children, a friend with our wife, our best friend, our wives should be our best friend. Our wives should be our best friend. Because a best friend is, is we choose and we bond and, and that's why friendship is, is good. It sticks closer than even a brother at times. And so we want to be friends. We want to strive in those areas to take time to listen, to love, uh, to, to, to say that we are one. I'm always there for you. I'm not going to run out on you. I'm not going to close the door to you. You're important to me. So, Father, we're a friend. We want to be a friend. And your family should be your best friends. Those in your household, your wife, your children should be your best friends. Second to Pastor L. But your, <laughs> joking, your family needs to be your best friend. Your wife needs to be your bestest friend, if I can use that word. And it goes down. Your children are your best. That they're, you know. But you need to take time to listen to your household and to let them know you're always there for them. You want to listen to them and you want to be one with them and love them. And the children need to know that you care about them. That they just didn't happen along, and now you're just they're a burden to you, or they're in the way of your prospering in your business. And that's another thing where children, I hear again, that they feel that they're uh, a weight or, in, or a blocking sometime in 
the father doing what he has to do by saying, oh, I'm too busy for you now. I can't be bothered. And, and so you hear that. But when you make time to say, no, I choose to love you. I choose to make be your best friend. I choose to make time to listen to you. So fathers, you want to be your wife's and your children's best friend. There should be nobody else they would want to run to than, than to you. They shouldn't have to say, uh, I got a better friend than my dad is over here. They always listen to me and play with me and do whatever. You're, you're, when you're, you make a friend with your children, they'll want to be with you for the, for the most part. Not always, but they, it'll be a good, a good influence. Secondly, we want to look at A, affirmer. And the father needs to be an affirmer. What is an affirmer? An affirmer is, uh, means to uh, assert positively, to tell with confidence, to declare the existence of something, to maintain as true, to declare solemn before a judge. Now, you may have heard the word, uh, you have to affirm this and affirm that, and the world takes it to a mean that, that if someone is not doing well, you just have to say, oh, you're doing fantastic. And that's not being truthful. That's not affirmation. Affirming is not telling someone that they're doing well when they're not doing well. Affirmation is telling the truth in honesty, but trying to be positive, to bring out the positive uh, things of that person's life. Not to deceive them by telling them, oh, you're doing wonderful when they're not doing wonderful, because then they're going to go in life, you're doing damage, because the child's going to go into life thinking, oh, I'm so wonderful, and they get down the road, and, and so people around them are going to say, hey, you're terrible. And they say, but I'm not. My father says I'm wonderful, but you're not. You're terrible. And they're going to have a hard time dealing with that. But when you tell them the truth, you affirm them in truth. This is what you're good at. This is your strong points or whatever. When you declare the existence of something to maintain it as true, you're an affirmer. So what do we as fathers or what does a father need to do to affirm, to be an affirmer in his, in his home? Well, first in John 15 verse 9, the first thing that a child or, or uh, your wife needs to know is that, again, men, we need to be the priest, prophet, and king of our home in the sense that we need to be the bearers of the gospel of Christ, of the word of God. We need to, to look into the word to direct our lives so that we can then impart it into the lives of our household. And it says here in John fifteen nine, Even as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And so here, see, as a father, we can say, I know that God, my father, loves me. And the love that he loves with me with, I'm going to love you with. And to let them know, to affirm that your love will always be there for them. That's an affirm, an assertion of, of, of positive, of truth, to say that I will always love you and continue in my love. Always know that I'm going to love you. You know, there's, there's a, to, to think that someone doesn't love you is a terrible thing. But when you know, when you hear constantly, that's why husbands, when you talk to your wives, you need to tell her, not just on the day that you got married that you love her, but you need to tell her daily that you love her. Why? It's an affirmation that you love her. Your children, now don't think your children, you know, they, they kind of might say, oh, come on, stop that. But you need to tell them, they need to hear that you love them. 
Your children need to hear that you love them. And we need to know that God loves us no matter what. My earthly father may not have loved me, but God, my father God loves me continually. And in that love, I will love you always. We need to pass on, the, we need to receive the father's love in our life and pass that love on to let him know that I love you with the love of the Lord. And that love will never, will never cease. And Isaiah chapter 68, verse number 4. They need to be affirmed that you love them always and that your love will never leave them. Isaiah chapter 64, verse number 8. And it says, But now, O Lord our God, it says, Thou art our Father, we are the clay, and Thou art our potter, and we all are the work of Thy hand. What do our children need to know? What does our wife need to know? That God is at work in your life for good. You are valuable to the Lord and to me. God cares about your life. I care about your life. God is at work in you. They need to know that God chose to do something good in them, that he's at work in their life. If, if your children don't hear it from you, they're not going to hear it from anyone else. They need to hear from the fathers that God is doing something in your life. He's going to grow you up to be somebody. He's got gifts in you and talents in you that he's going to work to bring out. He's got a good plan for your life. He's the potter. You have to impart to your children that God is the potter and we are the clay, that God will make something beautiful out of your life. They need to hear that. Children need to hear that there's a purpose and a plan for their life, that someone is at work continually and constantly in their life for the good. They need to hear that because many times they'll go out and they'll hear, oh, you're, you're useless, you're worthless, you're, you can't do anything right, and, and you'll never amount to anything. Sometimes we... we Men, fathers say that to children, and that brings that just tears them down. But we need the children to hear, no, your life is valuable, and God is at work to do something good in your life. There is gifts in you and talents in you that God the potter is making something out of your life, something wonderful. And so we need, we need to let them know that there's a work, an ongoing work in their life. They're valuable to God. They're valuable to you. You see their life as something Precious. In Isaiah chapter 63, verse number 16, doubtless, where it says, Doubtless that thou art our father, though Abraham be ignorant of us and Israel acknowledge us not, thou, O Lord, art our father. Even though people, the kids around, around them don't like them or, or people around them don't acknowledge their gifts or their talents or who they are, you have to say that. Even though you go to school and the kids don't like you or make fun of you, whatever, even though no one acknowledges you, you come, I'm your father, I acknowledge you and love you for who you are. They need to know that no matter what, if they're not acknowledged by people in the world, they will come home and always be acknowledged in love and in truth, that you are there, that God will always be there. He says he's your redeemer from everlasting to everlasting. And we have to let them know that we have to impart spiritually into their lives that God will always love you and be there for you. He will always acknowledge your existence. He will always acknowledge the good work he's begun in you. The Bible says that God 
will finish that good work which he started in you. And we need to affirm that to our children, to our wives, and to ourselves, that God, no matter what the world tells you, no matter what teachers or no matter what your friends say, God is doing a good work in your life. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that God will always forgive you. In Matthew chapter 6, verse number 14, and in 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says that God, if we confess, God will forgive us our sins. Children always do something wrong. We always do something wrong, right? We need to know first that God forgives us when we blow it, when we get something wrong in our lives, that God forgives us, and we need to let our children know that if they, if they made a mistake, well, okay, just come to me and, and we'll work this out. You're going to be forgiven. I'm not going to hang it over your head the rest of your life. You know, I'm not going to let you know for the rest of your life that you didn't tie your shoe during the month of June. You know, and so we need to let them know that forgiveness is here. As a father, I'm going to have forgiveness over your life. But I need to know about it. Come to me. If something's wrong, come and I will forgive you. Why? Because God has forgiven me. Thank God he's forgiven you. Just think if God never forgave you and God hung over your head all the things that you've done wrong. And God says, huh, yeah, you're really stupid, man. You can't never get it right, huh? God doesn't say that to us, does he? Do we should never say that to our children. We should say, okay, you made a mistake. Well, come on. Let's, let's see how we can correct this and make it right. You're forgiven. I forgive you. And so we have to always be quick to forgive our children and let them know, okay, there's a mistake here, all right, that we, we shouldn't be repeating that, but look, let's see how we can work this out. I forgive you. I love you. So we need to let them know that they are forgiven by us, you know? And it says in Luke chapter 11, verse number 13, See, these are affirmations. These are things positive. These are truths that are being imparted. And these are positive truths. We can't, you know, they need to know that God loves them, that God cares for them, that God forgives them, that God's doing something good in their life. Where are they going to hear it if they don't hear it from you? These are affirmations, things that are true from the Word of God, and they should be true from your heart to your wife and to your children as, as fathers, as head of of the household that goes for all of us, whether no matter who we are. And uh, Luke 11, verse number 13, it says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? We need to let them know that God uh, wants to come into their house and fill them with the Holy Spirit of God. They need, they need to know that if, if they come into their house, there, there's, there's a good presence there. There's something good there. And they need to know that in their life, they need to have the Holy Spirit come into their life. They need to know that. And who's going to tell them? The teacher in school? No. Is the, when they buy a ticket for a movie theater, is that person going to tell them you need the Holy Spirit in your life? No. If they go hang out with their friends, are the friends going to tell them, hey, you need the Holy Spirit in your life? No. But as a father, we need to impart to them that God wants to come into your house. He wants to live with you to help you and to do that good work and to bring all those gifts and talents out of you. And, and to good, he has a good future and a hope for you, but you have to open the door and let the Holy Spirit come in to your life. 
And so we have to affirm that truth to them, that God loves them enough to give the Holy Spirit to them and to have them open up to God and to the Holy Spirit of God in their life. They're never too young to open up to the Lord. Never too young. Little children come to the altar. They're quick. Children are quicker than adults to open up to the Spirit of God in their lives. And so that's why the Bible says if you train up a child in the way he should go, early, if early, that, you know, they'll, they'll receive it. They'll open up. So little children are very easy to open up to the Lord in their lives. But we cannot hold back on, on letting, affirming to them that, God loves you, and if you ask him, he wants to give you. He wants to give you and put into you his Holy Spirit. That's a true affirmation, an affirmation of truth that is true, that will change and affect their lives forever, forever. No matter how much you can do and impart into their lives, if you don't affirm to them that God loves them so much, he wants to impart the Holy Spirit into their lives, we're, we're closing the door on, on a lot that God would have to do in their life. So with the little children, have them open their hearts to the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says that he will come in. If you ask, he will come in. And husbands, we need to get our pray with our wives that the Holy Spirit fill us and, and our house and, and, and your very being. You know, if you have never asked the Holy Spirit into your heart, you need to do that, you know, today, right now. But we need to impart that to our children. That's an affirmation that God wants to come into your house and live with you forever. And they need to know that. And uh, in Luke chapter uh, number, uh, well, let me look at it. Well, Luke chapter 22, verse 29, God says he has appointed a kingdom unto us. And God, I don't want to go too much into that, but God is saying he has a future plan for our life. He has something for us down the road to look forward to. And so it's not only today, but tomorrow that we have to look forward to. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, this is the one I want to go to here on the last one on being an affirmer. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 15, we just talked about opening the door, uh, being uh, an instrument to have your children and your household open the door to the Holy Spirit of God. And in Romans 8, 15, it says, For ye ye receive not the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but ye receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You see, it says, God has given us not a spirit of fear, because when they go out into this world, they're going to be surrounded with all things that are going to bring fear into their lives. But when they open up to the Spirit of God, they've been uh, adopted by God. God has chosen them, and he wants them to call him Abba, Daddy, Father. That's what the word Abba means, Daddy. Daddy. I love you, Daddy. And we, as, as adults, we can remember how good it was. Well, like I say, we don't know because we might have had abusive fathers. But if the father was good, it was good to run into his arms and say, Daddy. But God wants us to know he's a father that loves us. He wants us running into his arms crying, Daddy, Abba, Father, you've chosen me. The spirit of adoption. God chose us. When you adopt someone, you choose someone. You choose to have them live with you. And God, they need to know that God chose you, and he wants his spirit to be in you. He wants you to call him Daddy. You know, we want our children to call us daddy. That's good when your children calls you daddy. 
Is it a good thing, Mark, when children call you daddy? Right, Brent? It's good. But we need to let them know that it's even better when they can call God daddy. Calling me daddy is wonderful, is good, I love it. But when you call God daddy, if I can get you to call God daddy, that's greater. That's greater yet. And that's the great thing that as a father we want to do. We don't just want them to call us daddy. We want them to call God daddy. Because that's the whole purpose. That's the whole focus of our existence. Children are given into care for care for a season and a time. You don't own your children. You do not own your children. You don't got a bill of sale for your children. Children have a birth certificate. You don't own them. You can't rule their lives and tell them what they're going to be and what they're going to do and what they're going to... You have to put them into the care of God. Our purpose as a father is to direct them to the presence of God, into his arms, and have them open their hearts to say, Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Father. I call you Abba Daddy. And when we've done that, when we've taken our children and put them into the presence of God where they can call God Abba Daddy, Father... That's it. You, that's the goal. That's the thing. That they call you daddy is good and wonderful, and you should be glad and thankful that they, that they come to that point. But calling Father God, Abba Daddy, is it. That is where you want to, to bring them. That's the affirmation that if you go to God, he will not reject you. He's not going to examine you to see how good you are or how bad you are. He loves you just the way you are. He's good. A good work in your life. So you need to be an affirmer. You need to be a teacher. The next one is father is a T. You need to be a, a teacher, and a teacher is a, a, an instructor. And uh, an instructor, again, is speaking the truth to his children, speaking to them the word of God, God's word. It's good to read them storybooks and other type things, but the greatest thing you can impart into their life is the word of God. Tell them stories uh, from the word that will touch touch them and teach them we need to be uh verbal in our in, in our teaching in our instruction but we need to be visual too how do you, how do you, many of you know that whatever you do the eyes are upon you your children watch everything you do they listen to everything you say and if what you do what you say doesn't match up with what you do you know there's questions that arise you know, and they say, well, you say this, but you do that. You, you say this, but you do that. We need to be consistent, and we need what we teach. We need to put into practice. That's why we have to line up ourselves, our lives, with the Word of God, fathers, men. We need to line ourselves with the Word of God and choose to do it so that what we say in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 16, is Bible tells us, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Your house sees and hears all that you do. And so, as the Bible says, you know, we have to uh, put what we say into action. It's not always what we say, but it's what we do. And if the two go together, then we're, we're making disciples of our children, of our house. And so we need to, to do that. And what also do we need to do? We need them. We need to to have them uh, do what 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 the Word of God says in Matthew chapter six, verse nine. 
Our children need to know, our house needs to know that we need to pray. In Matthew 6, 9, after this manner, therefore pray, our Father, our Father. We need to direct our children. You can always come to me. I'm always there to listen. I love you. I'll, I'll, I'll be there for you. But you need to let them know that they could go to God with all their prayers and their concerns and that he will be there to listen to them. We need to teach them how to pray, who to pray to. We need, them, we need to let the children know they need to go to the Father through who? Through Jesus, right? Because in this world, is anybody going to tell them that? Is the schools going to tell them? Is the newspapers or the, or the, the cartoons on TV, is anything going to tell them that you can go to Father God and pray and call him Abba Daddy and pray to him? And he's, he's up there in heaven and he, he's, he can hear, he will hear you. He wants to hear you and he'll help you. We need to teach them to pray. And so how do we do that? Again, by example. You know, we, we need, they need to see us pray. As, uh, even as Deb shared about her brother, that uh, he walked by seeing his father, her, his father praying at the bedside and that affected, that stood with him. And so when we see, when a child sees you praying, he's going to take example and pray. But you need to let him know who to pray to and how to pray in the name of Jesus. And it says also that, uh, O Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That means holy, separate are you, Lord God. Our children need to know that God is a holy God. Children don't have a hard time with that. We as adults do. But children don't have a hard time. With that, so we need to tell them that they they need to pray. We teach them to pray and to teach them to have reverence and respect for the Lord God, that He is good, and to do the will of God. You know, in uh, Matthew seven twenty one, you don't have to go there, but it says, "Those who do the will of my Father." So we need to teach the children too that the Word of God. We have to to, to find out what God's will is, what His Word would ask us to live, how his word asks us to live, to do it wholeheartedly. And in in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 37, it says, uh, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So what is it saying? Not to love mother or father? No. It's saying you love your mother or father, but we have to love who more than our mothers and fathers? Love God. And so as a father, what do we have to do? We have to teach our sons and daughters, our wives, to love God more than you love me. Yeah. We need to teach our children to love God more than you love me. I say to my wife, I love you, but I love God more than I love my wife. God is number one in my life. My wife is number two. Right? I don't love anyone on this earth more than I love my wife. But there's no one I love more than I love the Lord my God. God has to take first place in our lives. You think about it. It's not wrong. It's not sounding wrong. You love the Lord your God above all things. Your wife or your husband is second. You love them second to God, not above God. You can't love father or mother more than God. You love God. You love your mother, father, uh, your wife, and and you go down your children. And not to say that your children are inferior to your wife, but your wife will always be there. Your children are going to be with you for a season. You know that. Your wife will be there for the duration. (laughs) Hopefully. God willing. Right? 
Amen. But your children, they're given to you for a season. You grow them up, you know, all that thing, and then out they go. And then they go their own way. They, they marry, they have family, and who's left? You and your wife. And so if you put the priority on your children above your wife, you're, you're doing your wife a disservice. Then after your children are gone, it's like, who are you? You know? Uh, but you have to have your priorities. God, your wife, and your children. God will be with you for all eternity, and hopefully your wife also. But God is a Lord and Savior and Master. Your wife is the love of your life, your best friend. Your children are your best friends, and they're they're in the third priority. And so you don't love you don't love the church above your wife or children. You love God, your wife, children, and then the ministry of the church. You don't go to church and sacrifice. I mean, what I'm trying to say, I don't want to put this wrong or give you wrong thoughts, but you know, we need to get together. But when we start uh, saying, oh, i got to be at church Monday, i got to be at church Tuesday, i got to be at church Wednesday, i got to be at church Thursday, i got to be at church Friday, and i got no time for my family, I'm just serving the Lord, that's wrong. You're abusing your family, you're neglecting your family, and that is not in the process or the word of God. That is not in the order of God. That is wrong. God, your wife, your children, and then the ministry of of the of the body of Christ comes in, and so, and and finally in this one Acts chapter one verse number four that I want to look at. So and we need to to teach our children to worship God. You know Acts chapter one verse number four. What it says here is uh, down at the bottom. Uh, but wait for the promise of the Father. We need to teach our children patience. That you can't always get what you want when you want. No, you can't have it now. When they start banging on the thing, I want my cookie now. And you say, oh, stop making that noise. Okay, I'll give you a cookie. Then they finish that cookie. I want another cookie. But what do you do? Are you teaching them respect, patience? No. You need to teach them, your children, that they need to have patience. Because what happens is they get out in life and they want what they want right now. And if they don't get it, they're upset, they're crying, they can't do it, and they get destructive or whatever. A lot of problems come because because the, the, the fathers and mothers try to please the children instantly with every gratification that they want. And they don't learn patience. They don't know how to wait. They don't know how to endure. And so we need to teach, that according to the Word of God, it says, wait for the promise of God. But patience, the Bible says, is a virtue. And we need, as fathers, to impart to our children that there's times when you have to wait for things to come. I want a car now. You have to wait till you're 17 or 16 or whatever it is to have a car. Right? And so there's times you have to wait for things. And we children are not taught patience. They're not taught how to wait because they don't see it in us. Again, we children learn by not only hearing, you just can't tell a child what to do. You have to show a child how to do it. When a child sees you having patience, hearing you say, I'm going to have patience. I'm waiting on the Lord. I know it will come about, and I'm just going to wait on it. And when they hear you do that and they see you doing that, then they learn how to have patience in their life. Patience, again, the Bible says, is a virtue. And fathers and men, we want to impart that into our lives. We need to have patience. We need to bring it into our lives, and we need to bring that into the lives 
of our children. They need to have patience. Patience. Praise the Lord. The next word is hero. I'll go through this a little quicker. Hero. What is a hero? A hero is an extraordinary person. Above and beyond the norm, is a, a hero is someone extraordinary who does something extraordinary. And uh, we see in the Bible, in the Word of God, that God continually does things that are extraordinary out of the Word of God. If you look with me, but if you just look with me in John chapter 4, verse number 53, we have the story here of the... Uh, of the father who went to Jesus, his son was dying, and he went to Jesus because he believed, he had faith, and he went to Jesus, and it says, so, at the, so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, thy son liveth. And the father had faith for the son who was dying. And sometimes, you know, we, we, we want to believe God for sons or daughters who have gone astray, who are backslidden, who are in the world. And, and we, we don't know how to rescue them. We can't, we can't take them from that situation where in this case he's saying my son was dying or my son had, when he left he was dying and on his way there the son had literally died, it said. But he had faith to go to God. He, there was, God was there who could do something extraordinary. There was a hero. There was a rescuer. There was a hope for his child. Who was that hope? It was Father God. It was Jesus. And so we have to understand and, and know that when there's a, we can be a hero to our children by rescuing, rescuing them out of their, their backsliding conditions or whatever. By how? By going to Jesus. And by going to Jesus, what happened? The father went to Jesus, and as a result, what happened? The boy was saved. He was brought back to life. Who rescued him? It was the father whose intercession, what, saved the day for that boy. Had the father not bothered to intercede for him, what would have happened? He would have perished. And so did that boy learn that maybe, hey, my dad went and interceded to Jesus, and I'm alive today because my father, my father is a hero. He, he is, wow, he's the man. He saved my life because of that. And so... When you intercede for your children, when you, when you go to the Lord in their behalf, you're, you're, and you believe in God for their salvation, again, even if they're gone away, even if they're into things that you can't see a way out, yet your prayers to Jesus, your intercession for them can save the day for them. Never give up hope for them. And that they need to know that is there a tough trial or time in your life, there is a hero, if you can use that word, whose name is God, our Father. And that's why you go to him and you cry, Abba, Father, in the spirit, that he's the one who can rescue you, deliver you. When no one else can, you need a superhero. You need someone with supernatural abilities to come and change the day for you. Well, who is going to be your hero? Don't look to anyone else. Don't look to your friends to be your hero. You know, it's God who, who is the one who can come to your rescue and save you. And, uh, and to be your true and real hero. And so we see that. And we're going to move on quick. An example in number E. Example. In Joshua chapter number 24, verse number 15, the Bible says that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And again, that's the whole example. As for me and my house, there has to be a pattern established that they're going to see that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
I want you to write these verses down so that you can look them up later in there. John 5, verse 15. Jesus says, I am about my Father's work. And he says, my Father works, and so I work. And so when we put our hands to the plow for the work of God, we're setting an example. Our children are seeing us work for the Lord, and guess what? They're going to come and work for the Lord. If they don't see us working for the Lord, they're not going to want to come and do that work. So Jesus says, my Father worketh, uh, and I work. And he goes on to say, in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, look at this verse real quick. Exodus 15, verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father is God, and I will exalt him. And it says in the, the other version, it says, I will, uh, I will uh, prepare him a habitation. My Father is God, and I will exalt him. And so in preparing a habitation and exalting him, that's work. When you prepare a habitation for God in your life, that is work. How do you prepare a habitation for God? By coming to church, by reading the Bible, by praying, by worshiping God, by singing praise and all that there. That's work. That is something that takes effort for you to do. Work is not something that you just sit back in the lazy boy and say, okay, uh, do work in my life. Work, when you want to work, build a habitation for God. It's all part of, uh, of various different things, reading the Bible, praying, going to church, all those different things. And so we see that there's a plan, that you have a plan in your life to build God a habitation. And by example, you're showing them you have to have a plan in your life. How are you going to build God a habitation in your life? By going to church, reading the Bible, by praying, by worshiping before the Lord your God. We're going to go down now to, to, the, to uh, the last one, which is R, which is uh, the rule uh, or rulership of that. And uh, I just want to say with this that um, in, in, in ruling it means to govern your house with authority, with the authority of God. And again, it's rulership, and the Bible says don't lord it over them as the world lords it over them. You're not to, to rule over your household or over your children with a rod of sternness and just, you know, do it or else type thing. It's a thing of, of do this in love. And you have to, again, set example. There has to be honor and reverence and obedience. And uh, in Matthew chapter number 28, verse number 19, I just want to go to that one. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And so what is, what is a, a ruler gives, gives direction. It gives uh, a forward motion to go to. And here, what do we need to teach? What do we need to teach? As a ruler, we need to say, go and make disciples. Go ye therefore. Learn from God. Learn from God. You need to teach them, as we said in the beginning, how to put themselves in the presence of God, how to pray, how to worship how to cry, Abba, Daddy, how to be filled with the Spirit of God, how to learn from God, how to, how to have that plan and purpose for your life, to build up a habitation through Bible study, through reading the Word, through Sunday school, through all this thing. And when you're filled, then you go, you go, and you go, and you make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And that's not only for the 12 disciples there. That's for every one of us. All of us in our life are called to go. 
And so that's the whole thing is that we, we impart to them the things that are going to bring them into the presence of God where they call him Daddy, Abba, Daddy, Father. And we have to be in that place. Our wives have to be in that place. Our children have to be in that place of crying, Abba, Father, Daddy. And then it says, I just wanted to do one more thing. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, and it says, uh, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in Jerusalem until ye be clothed with power from on high, and again be filled with the Holy Spirit, that in all that you do, in the whole thing is imparting to your household and to your children, that in everything you do, you should be filled with the Spirit of God before you go and do anything. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. The importance of the Spirit of God in your life makes you cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. And if we can get our households, if we can get ourselves and then our households to cry, Abba, Daddy, Father, you're a father extraordinaire. You're a father of the greatest degree, of the top notch, because there's no greater father than a father who brings his children to the presence of the Lord. There's no greater. And God is not looking at you with a with a with a, a hammer saying, you know, he's there to help us along, to help us instruct, to help us grow, to help us impart, so that he can have that. Who breathed life into your children? You didn't do it. God did. Who's gonna whose arms are they gonna return to at the end of their days? Not yours. You're not going to be there. It's going to be your your father's arms. God. He breathed life into every one of us. Who's we don't go back to our father's arms at the end of days, do we? We don't go back to our mother's arms. We go back to the arms of God. And we need to let our children know that as a father, I love you. I care about you. I want to hear. But let me teach you. Let me impart to you the real father, the real daddy who loves you whose arms are open waiting for you to call Abba Daddy. He's never going to leave you, forsake you. He's always there. He loves you. No matter who rejects you, he receives you. He's got a good work in your life. And if we can bring our households to that point of looking to Father God and knowing someday you'll return to his arms who loves you and your joy will be full forevermore. And the presence of God is a fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And that's where we want to bring them. Yes, come to my arms and I'll love you and I'll, you can call me daddy or mommy or whatever. I love you. But, you know, the better arms are the arms of God. As much as I love you, God loves you more. And so for Father's Day, the best thing we can do is put ourselves in the arms of our Heavenly Father. I can't put my arms today in the arms of my father who I knew on this earth. I loved him very much. But I can't go into his arms, can I? No, but can I go into my father's arms? Yes. And that is the greatest comfort and joy to me. And that's the greatest comfort and joy you can impart into your household, into your children, into your wife, into your very selves. And again, the Bible says, Now unto our God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I just pray that this this Father's Day word uh, imparted something positive into your life, something good. God is there to help us along. And we're fathers. We want to be good fathers. We want to be good heads of our homes. We want to be the best we can be. And God is there to help us along. But our 
goal is to say, I'll help you the best I can, but someone who can help you even more than me, he's Father God, Abba, Daddy. Let me tell you about him. Let me let me get you into his arms. Let me come along. Let me get you into the presence of God. Amen. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah.